That was awesome, kids. Great job. There's more truth to those answers than you know. I like Parker when you said to see other kids. That's awesome. Well, speaking of kids, you can stand up and you are dismissed. Give your parents a high five. You're dismissed for Kids Church. Have an awesome time back there today. We love you guys. We're going to do something a little different today. Um, you can see Heidi's here behind me on this stage. We're going to give you two for the price of one. We're going to team teach this morning, and there's going to be two messages. Yeah! So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be awesome. But that's why Heidi's right behind me here. You may hear, hopefully I'll get a little amen now and then from Heidi. You got the clock? Oh, I better get going here. Okay. There's three words that you need to remember from this message today. Three simple words, stepping forward together. In Acts 2.14, it says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. Stepping forward together. When we're in this series, Identity. Identity. Dave did a great job last week kicking us off, and we're continuing our series about identity, who we are. And today we're going to talk about who we are as the church. Acts 2.14, that's how the church got started. And if you don't know, that's where Church 2.14 gets its name. The church, it's not a building. It's not a place. It's who you are. It's who I am. You see, the church is a living, breathing movement of those that follow Jesus Christ. And it spans generations. Generations behind, of us, behind us and generations ahead of us. And it's so important to know who we are to know and understand our identity as the church. Because if we can understand who we are and the importance that we play in this movement called the church, then it will change everything about how we live our lives. See, there's one story that's greater than any other story. This story is so great, so magnificent, so unbelievable that other stories just pale in comparison. Other stories oftentimes mimic this story. Other stories often reflect its meaning and its greatness, but they end up being mere shadows of this story. This story is the greatest romance ever written. It's the ultimate love story. Yet at the same time, it's a terrifying thriller full of horrific violence. And this story, this story contains the greatest plot twist ever conceived. And this story happens to be true, very true. You see, both you and I, we are a part of this story. And the chapters are still being written today. And as with any story, in order to fully understand it, we must start at the beginning. And with this story, we must start in the very beginning. No, no really, the very beginning. When the earth was formless, empty and dark, and then God spoke light into existence. And then he separated and, and divided and he created land and plants and trees and sun and moon and stars and birds and creatures and sea creatures. And then, then God said to himself, let us create something special. Something unbelievably special that's set apart from the rest of creation. He said, let us create someone in our own image. And he created man and woman, you and me, in the very image of himself. We are reflectors of his image, bearers of his image. And the creator God then had fellowship 
He had community. He had a relationship with his creation. Oh, you've got to understand this to get the whole story. See, we talked with him and we walked with him in the garden and everything was perfect until, until one day the man and the woman disobeyed God. They sinned against him. And their fellowship, their communion, their relationship was broken. You see, the creation had to be separated from the Creator. A holy God cannot have fellowship with a sinful man. And for the next 4,000 years, man spent trying to please God by offering sacrifices as atonement for their sins. And over and over and over and over again, they would do these rituals and these practices were performed. And there didn't seem like there was any end in sight. But God. But God had a plan. The ultimate plot twist for this story. He sent the only person into the world that could once and for all restore that communion, that fellowship, that relationship between himself and his creation. He sent himself. God wrapped himself in human flesh and he came, he left his throne in heaven and came down to a dusty planet called Earth. And around the year 14 AD, Rome was well on its way to becoming an empire. The greatest empire perhaps in the history of the world, at least at that time. And that year in 14 AD, Tiberius became the emperor of Rome. The most powerful man in the world. An almost godlike figure. Yet today, Tiberius is a forgotten man. His name does not live on. But there is another name from around that same time period that does live on. You see, at that same time in 14 AD, in a small, obscure village, a small, obscure province of Galilee, who was under Roman oppression, far, far away from the capital of Rome, far away from the power and prestige of the emperor and from his throne, far away from Tiberius, there was a young man, a carpenter from Nazareth. And he began teaching and preaching. And he didn't seek power. He didn't try to overthrow the Roman government, even though the zealots wanted him to. Now, he did create chaos. He mixed it up a lot with the religious leaders of that day. See, he told them that he had come to fulfill everything that they'd ever believed. That he himself was the Messiah, the promised one, the one that they had been waiting for for centuries. He was the very essence, the culmination of everything that they had ever studied and worshipped and believed. Right in front of their own eyes was the God Elohim who they worshipped. The God who created them was standing right in front of them, and most of them could not see it. And I wonder if you and I would have been able to see him for who he truly was. There were a few small handful of religious leaders who did see him for who he was, but most of them rejected him and despised him and turned their backs on him. But you see, there was something different about him. There was something compelling something attractive, something wonderful. He didn't come brandishing a sword. Instead, his weapon was love. 
He was the very definition of love. He was pure love wrapped in human skin. And one day he walked by some fishermen and he told them to follow him. They saw him for who he truly was. And they immediately dropped their nets and they followed him. They left everything that they had ever known for this man that they had just barely met. He was so compelling. There was so much warmth coming from them. They could tell that he cared about them and loved them. He wanted them to spend their short lives fishing for the right thing. Not for fish, but for people. The people that he so desperately loved. He wanted this love, his love, to shine on them and to soak into them, to permeate them, but not to stop there. He wanted his love to then reflect off of them and onto a world that was just waiting and desperate to soak up its rays. See, it was the beginning of the church. Love had come to earth, and he gathered this rugged and motley crew to be his followers, a a bunch of uneducated, simple fishermen, a hated tax collector, a couple of zealots who were intent on overthrowing Roman rule, and a pessimist who was filled with so much doubt that it became his nickname, and a traitor who would eventually betray him, but it was all part of the plan. And he poured into them, these followers of his, so that, listen to me, he poured into them so that they in turn would pour into others. See, it was always about people. The church was being birthed. He talked about a kingdom not of this world. He talked about heaven falling to earth. Grace and truth flowed out of everything that he did. He traveled throughout Galilee teaching and announcing the good news of the kingdom. He met with the marginalized, the sick, those with every kind of disease and illness, and he healed them. Large crowds started to follow him everywhere he went, and there was a buzz around him. Something was different. This man was not normal. He gave the blind their sight back. He made the lame to walk again. He told people to turn to him, to believe in him. See, God knew that there was only one way to restore his relationship of man to himself, and it required the ultimate sacrifice. A sacrifice so pure and sinless that it could atone for the sins of all mankind. And the only sacrifice that pure was God himself. So God dressed himself in human skin and he walked among us completely man and completely God. And here's the thing, here's the most unbelievable plot twist ever. He orchestrated his own death. All because of love so that he could restore his relationship with man. See, he loves us so incredibly much. He loves his creation so incredibly much that he died a brutal, agonizing death, and he allowed himself to be crucified like a criminal on a crude wooden cross. See, the Roman nails did not hold him to that cross. Love held him on that cross. Love for you. Love for me, the love of a creator for his creation. He took the punishment that should have been yours. 
He took the punishment that should have been mine. He took it upon his own shoulders. And by his wounds, we are healed. And he restored us. So now that we can turn to him and once again have fellowship and communion with him, to walk in the garden with him, just like he originally designed it to be. And even though he died, he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and he put death to death. You see, we don't remember Emperor Tiberius. We remember one name, the most powerful name that ever was and ever will be. We remember the name of Jesus. And Jesus rose from the grave, and he appeared to his followers, and he told them, go, don't stand still. Go, move, make more followers. Make more disciples. Make more leaders. Multiply yourselves. And he said, be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and we read that Peter and the apostles stepped forward together. See, that's the whole story. The movement had started. The church had been launched. They stepped forward together. You see, this is your story. This is my story. Today, right here and now, you and I, we carry on this movement that was started 2,000 years ago and further back. See, if you believe in Jesus today, and if you don't, you can turn to him right here, right now. If you believe in Jesus, then you are a part of the greatest movement that this world has ever seen or will ever see. You are a part of the church of Jesus. And here's the thing. Here's the awesome thing. The story is still being written. Yes, we know the beginning. Yes, we know the ultimate plot twist. Yes, we even know the ending. But God has given us, his church, in 2016 A.D. influence over part of this story. See, the chapters that you and I are living in right here and right now, the ink is still wet and it's not yet dry. Church, we are not called to be put into a holding pattern. Hello? We are called to step forward together. We are the church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means, listen to this carefully, it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes and into a a public place. You and I are the ecclesia. We have been called out of our homes, out of our comfort zones, if you will, and together we are called into the public arena. The ecclesia is to be among the people. And it shouldn't surprise us because that's the very heart of God. The very story that I just told was that of a creator who would stop at nothing. He would pursue us with love until he had the very people that he created back. He had that restored, that fellowship with us. We are the called out assembly, the ecclesia. And we have to go We have to move. We have to keep stepping forward and tell people of the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom. See, to step forward is to advance. We're not looking backward. We're advancing. God is a God of movement. 
We step forward. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, he says, and I strain for what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, I strain, I stretch for what is ahead. I press on, I keep stepping forward. Church, we cannot stop. We will not stop until everyone has heard this story of love. And we don't step forward individually. We step forward together as a team, one body, united. See, that's what's so powerful about the church, that together we are unstoppable. Jesus says he will build his church, his ecclesia, and the gates of hell itself itself will not be able to stop it. We cannot be complete as a church. We cannot be a complete body, a united team without you. Yes, you. Whether you're here today or listening on the podcast, you are a part of this. We need you. The church needs you. See, God has put something special inside of you that I don't have, that Heidi doesn't have, that Paul doesn't have, that Heather doesn't have, that Derek doesn't have. Only you have it. And we are not complete. We are not fully functioning without you, engaged and stepping forward together with us, alongside of us. See, in the Old Testament, the Levites, who were the priests, they were responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. No one person was responsible for carrying his presence. It was a team of priests. And the same is true with the church. We are carriers of his presence. Everywhere we go, we carry his name, the presence of Jesus, and we must carry it well. But it's not up to one person. We must carry his name together, stepping forward together. See, the apostles knew this. They launched the church together. They stepped forward together. Yes, there's different roles and different responsibilities and giftings. And next week, Heather's going to talk about identifying your spiritual gifting. Don't miss that. It's going to be awesome as we continue our ID series. We have different roles and responsibilities here at Church 214. But listen to me, our number one goal, our number one vision, our number one focus is to step forward together at the command of one name. See, we have one great shepherd. We have one high priest, and his name is Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. There is not a lack of leadership at this church, but rather the opposite. This church has an incredible number of pastors and teachers and leaders, and we're not done yet. Our goal is to raise up more We believe actually what Jesus said in making disciples. We believe in multiplication of leaders. We believe in developing leaders, creating lanes for people, helping them to discover their gifts and talents that they have that God put inside of you. And then letting them step forward together in that lane that's created for them. See, that's what Jesus did. That's what the early church did, and that's what we're going to do here at Church 214. See, it doesn't matter if you're a simple fisherman like Peter or if you're a scholar like Paul. The church needs both. We step forward together. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May God help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice 
giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Complete harmony, joined together with one voice. That is the vision of the kingdom of God. When churches come together in unity, there is something powerful that happens. That's why we always want to be stepping outside of our walls, partnering with people like Camp of Champions and the Southside Mission and hosting IF gatherings and partnering with other churches. We need to see the big perspective, the big picture of the kingdom of God and realize that we are a part of it. God's ecclesia, his global church, the assembly that have been called out. We always need to be stepping forward, but we need to do it together. For years before the invention of concrete, builders would use stones to lay the foundation for a new building. They would chisel these stones into a brick-like, um, perfect brick, and then they would select one particular stone and designate it as the reference stone or the cornerstone. And that stone, that one stone, would determine the placement of every other stone. And then they would lay the other stones end to end to form the outline of a foundation. But they had to make sure that every single stone was level and square with the reference stone, the cornerstone. In Ephesians 2.20, it says this, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And we see it taking shape day after day, this holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You see, you and I, we are bricks that he's fitting in to this thing we call the church. And we are built on the foundation of all of those who have gone before us. But everything, every one of these bricks is squared up and made level against the reference stone, the cornerstone, who is Jesus. That is the church of Jesus Christ, and every one of us has a special place in what he is building. And if there's one brick missing, the whole thing becomes less stable. Do not casually dismiss your place in the church. You are needed. God has uniquely gifted you. You have a part to play. The church needs you. People need you. Do not be the missing brick. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I want you to pretend for a moment that you're on a shore of a huge lake. You're a fisherman. Your father was a fisherman. Your grandfather was a fisherman. Your great-grandfather was a fisherman. It's all you've ever known. Fishing for fish. It's in your blood and you love it. So you're standing by the shore. You're mending your nets. Seagulls are squawking. The smell of fish is in the air. And all of a sudden you look up and you see him. And he looks right at you and he says, come and follow me. See, he's calling you out. And you find yourself dropping your nets and walking away from everything that you have ever known. Church, he's calling you out of your comfort zone. 
you are the ecclesia, the called out ones. See, fishing for fish is awesome. And you'll do it many times again. But he's setting your priorities straight of what is most important. He's calling you to chase after something greater than fish. Something that he cares about so deeply. People, you are called out to be among the people. His heart chases after people and he wants it to be your heart. People, those people that you meet every day at your workplace, wherever you go, the people that bear his image, the ones that he died for. He wants the love that he shines upon you to permeate you and then for you to reflect that same love, his love to people. You are his church, his ecclesia, the people that he has called out to reach more people. We can never stop pouring into people, reaching people, loving people, being among the people, because that's what he does. Everything that he ever did was to be among his people, to be among you, his creation. Jesus, we thank you today for your church, your body, your bride, the ecclesia that you are coming back for, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. God, thank you that you are building your church all over the world, brick by brick, person by person. In Peoria, Illinois, you are building your church. You are crafting us and building us into something incredible. Thank you, Father, that we get to be a part of the greatest movement that this world has ever seen. Yes, we will continue to crash the gates of hell and be unstoppable. Yes, we will fight with love, your love. And we will continue stepping forward together. We do this under one name, a glorious name, the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Chris. I love hearing Chris preach. He's got this awesome growl. When he's really getting intense, he growls. We told him that at dinner the other night, and he was like, what? So listen to your podcast, and you'll hear it. But I, I love your heart for the church. Um, I love that the, the vision of this church is just right out of God's word. And how powerful, because um, though we are human and we can make mistakes, if God's word is infallible. So if we just stick to God's word, we're good. So I've got a few minutes and I'm going to share a really important part of our identity as Church 214. And um, I don't want you to decide as soon as I say this word that this is going to bore you because this can change your life if you implement it. Um, and it is on the topic of prayer. Prayer is such an important part of the ID of this church because it literally set the foundation of this church launching and of God speaking into the hearts and the the minds of the leaders of this church and then confirming himself to us. So, but first, before we launch into that, I want to jump back to when I was 18. Um, I was actually invited to join a Monday night prayer meeting at the church that I was highly involved in. Now, my very first thought, I'm going to be honest, was that doesn't sound very exciting for an 18-year-old to attend a Monday night prayer meeting. Actually, it doesn't sound exciting at all. Um, 
but upon getting that request, I was hit with this reality that I was being offered a job by that church at the time. And I also was leading an inner city ministry team into the streets of Peoria on Saturday mornings, doing pretty risky ministry. And so I had this kind of guilt factor that I probably should attend the meeting to set this great example of the younger generation being willing to pray and of, um, you know, hey, I'm a future staff member, the staff can pray too. Um, it doesn't just have to be volunteers. But um, my, my third thought was kind of not quite as spiritually minded. It was more along the lines of like, oh, Monday night, I'm gonna miss the season premiere of The Bachelor. <laughs> now, it was a big deal because The Bachelor was just launching and so there was lots of talk about it. And you need to, you need to note that in that time frame, like pre-2000, the DVR was just being implemented into the market. And so my family did not have one yet. And so we had to rely on this thing called a VHS. And if you're under the age of 18, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But hang with me. We'll talk about something you know in a minute. And you had to um, set this timer on your VHS player hope that it recorded the right channel, hope that you got the sound with it, and hope that your four brothers did not switch the channel to Monday Night Football to record football instead of The Bachelor. So, but the guilt factor kicked in. I was a almost staff member leading an important ministry, and so I figured I better go and get some prayer covering, um, otherwise it might just look bad. So I went, and upon arriving, I immediately started to look for the coffee, because I thought, these people are all like four decades older than me, and I like older people, but they're going to be more spiritually fit and able to pray for a really long time. So I need some coffee, and there was no coffee, just chairs in a circle, folding chairs in a circle, and a handful of people to pray. And I soon found out that the reason they can pray for so long in those Monday night prayer meetings is that they would literally, bless their hearts, they would fall asleep between each other's very lengthy prayers. I, this is not a preacher joke. This, is, this really happened. And I mean, one of the guys that was on my inner city ministry team, I was like, you're sleeping right now. Can I sleep right now? Um, but it was just really interesting. And I actually never attended a Monday night prayer meeting again because it just, it was not for me. But I was so blessed by the hearts of those people that showed up to pray and I know they were there every Monday night. I am confident that they moved the spiritual atmosphere for that church and for the ministry God was calling them to and even for myself in my own life because of their diligence to pray. It was really empowering and cool. But ironically, the first many times I was asked to preach on the, on the church stage, guess what I was asked to preach about? Prayer. And I started to feel like maybe God was bringing to the surface of my life um, something that I needed to make a truer part of the very identity of who I was. And um, so I did. I began to make prayer just part of my ID, part of um, everything that I did, more than just before meals and before bed, but something that I covered everything in prayer. And for the sake of time, I don't get to go into a lot of detail as to the unbelievable things that God has done in my life and my family's life and my spouse's life and my children's life as we have been diligent to pray, but it has been incredible. And lives have been changed by um, just an openness to pray. And so 
I decided right then as a teenager that I didn't think, I do think there is a place for prayer meetings, but I didn't think that prayer should just be a team. I thought it should be a culture, a part of our lives, a part of the rhythm of our lives. Just like when we wake up and our first thought is coffee, breakfast. Like that needs to be the intenseness of how we desire to pray. So here at Church 14, we get asked a lot, um, who do I submit my prayer request to? Who is on the prayer team? And the answer is you. You're on the prayer team. See, because at Church 214, prayer is a culture, not a team. And that's one thing that we've set in place from the very beginning, that we will empower you. We will equip you. We will empower you to believe that the power that lives within you, which is the power of Jesus Christ, the power that raised him from the dead, is within you as a Christ follower. And so you have just as much authority to stand and to pray boldly with audacious prayer as I do as a leader of this church because you are a son or a daughter of the king. And so you have that opportunity. And I just, I don't want you to feel confused or um, feel like we are watering down the concept of prayer. We are not. We are not um, any other church that does it differently than, that, than us, that's okay. That is totally fine if that's their lane. But for us, we want it to be a culture. So if you pull a leader aside and say, my friend needs prayer, you know what? Nine out of 10 times we might say to you, awesome, let us join you in prayer and I want you to pray over your friend because we wanna empower you to know that you can call on the name of Jesus. Oswald Chambers said this, he says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer." is the greater work. So do you need prayer for your job? Or do you, need, do you need a new job? Do you need promoted in your job? You need to pray about it. Are your children not sleeping well at night? Pray about it. You have a test coming up that you're feeling nervous about that might determine if you can get into college or not. Pray about it. Your friend got a bad diagnosis. Pray about it. Your child gets injured. You have the opportunity to pray the blood of Jesus over your child and pray for healing. We've seen a ton of healings happening in this church because of prayer. You're being asked to move as a next step in your career and you're unsure, pray about it. He will be faithful to give you the right steps. Maybe you need to get back into shape but you feel inadequate to do it alone. Pray that God sends someone to help you through that. Maybe you desire more confidence in your life to fulfill the things God has called you to. Pray for it. See, there is absolutely nothing that you cannot pray about but after you've prayed about it, then it is so important that you do whatever it is that God puts on your heart that needs to be done to have that prayer come about. Because sometimes we can let prayer cripple us and we just wait on God when in fact he's actually waiting on us to move. Okay? So then in the same way, you need to praise him through your prayer. Has he shown up in your career? Then praise him. Do you have a job? Praise him. Is it the job that you're waiting on before the job that you want? Praise him for the job. Do you have food to eat on your table? Praise him for it. Do you have a shelter over your head? And yeah, it doesn't have double vanities in your bathroom, but praise him for that shelter over your head. Your friend finally got the baby that they've been hoping for and longing for. Praise him for that and tell people of God's goodness. Don't just tell people of the struggles you're having in your life and woe is me. Tell them of what God is doing in your life because if you woke up this morning and you're breathing, you have the opportunity to praise God. And sometimes it doesn't happen just in this setting where it's safe and okay to praise God and they don't look at you like you're crazy. Sometimes it happens in the Starbucks drive-thru where you praise God 
for what God is doing in the life of them. It is unbelievable what happens when we begin to pray and to praise. And so you might think, okay, what does it mean? How do I praise Jesus? What, what does that mean? It's so simple. Thank you, Jesus. And proclaiming what Jesus has done. Thank you, Jesus. So simple. Our prayer to him, our praise to him. You know, and maybe you, like me, at 18 had this thought of like, prayer just seems kind of boring and stale. Um, and that's okay. That, that's okay to feel that way. Because um, sometimes it does feel that way. I think sometimes as Christians, we have made it a check mark instead of a conversation. You know, one of my favorite times in my week is when Kip and I get the rare opportunity to just sit at our breakfast table over coffee. And I've mentioned coffee a lot now in this message. I must be tired. Um, and just communicate, just talk. And he will open up and begin to tell me just clippets of his week and things about work and things that Derek has said and things that they've done and things about the farm and um, these little things that make up his life that just show me a little bit more of who he is. And I love it because as I sit and listen and try not to talk over him or interrupt, um, I learn more about who he is and what his heartbeat is and what his passions are. And it's the same exact way with God. As we set that time in our life and in our schedule to meet with Jesus in prayer and in praise, we get to know him better. And then the conversation becomes more exciting because we begin to hear back from him. We're not just speaking into the blankness of nothing. We begin to hear back from him. So we tend to be really good about keeping appointments that are on our iCalendar, especially if we've set an alert on them. So I would challenge you, if you struggle to pray, set some little alerts on your iCalendar and just moments. It does not have to be four hours. Um, you don't need to fall asleep in between prayers, but just pray. Just pray as God brings people to your mind. You think about David Little, pray for David Little. You maybe think about someone in our church that you know is getting ready to have a baby, pray for them. You think about your grandma, pray for her. Just little flare prayers throughout your day, it can absolutely change your life. Now, um, Luke 11, Jesus was in a certain place, it says, praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do not lead us. Do, do not let us yield to temptation. And then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to feed him. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I cannot help you. But I tell you this, though he would not do it for friendship's sake, if you knock long enough, basically if you are annoying enough, if you're persistent, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And Jesus says, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive for what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to those who knock the door is opened. You fathers, if your children would ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. 
So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So persistency in prayer. Maybe you've prayed about this thing for a decade. Be willing to pray one more decade and see what God can do. And oftentimes God will use our faith and our diligence to pray to move in the life of someone else, maybe even someone who does not believe. And as I close, I want to share this brief story with you. Um, two, over two years ago, when I was pregnant with Wilder, our second born son, we, Kip and I took a baby moon um, to Mexico. And the first day we were sitting at the pool and this nice young couple, um, well, they were our age, so, so they were young. Um, they showed up at the pool and, you know, Kip tends to be so chatty with people he doesn't know. And so he kind of started to strike up this conversation and my memory fails, maybe I started it, I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, we started to talk, and, and a few minutes in, the lady said, can I ask you about your pregnancy and how far along you are? And so I began to share with her, and it led into the story of what we had been through, of losing two children, and then of having our firstborn son, who was so ill and almost died, and then our fourthborn, Wilder, who I was pregnant with. And she listened with these eyes that were just filled with tears, and I could tell there was something happening in her spirit. And she opened up and she said, we actually just lost our first baby. And she's like, it's been really difficult and I'm really struggling with it. And through conversation, I learned that she did not know Jesus. Um, she was on the opposite end of the spectrum. And we were able to just, I was able to just share with her because of what I'd been through, of what I believed God wanted to do, which was to give her the desire of her heart to have a child. And, um, we ended up talking at the pool for a few days, and we stayed in touch after we left. And a few months later, I got a text message from her that said, I wanted you to be one of the first to know. And it was a picture of a, pro a positive pregnancy test. And I just responded and I said, okay, I'm gonna be praying every day for you and for this baby. And she didn't respond to that. But um, about three months later, she texted back and said, unfortunately, we have lost our child again. And she said, I cannot go through this again, and so I don't think we're going to try again. I just, maybe we're not meant to have kids. And I felt like God gave me this boldness to say, your faith has got to stand in the gap for her. You have got to show her, though she does not believe in me, that I am able and that I can do this. And so there was this bit of like a, a moment where I go, but I might look like a fool if she doesn't get pregnant or if they lose a third one. And then she'll just totally know in her mind that God does not exist. But God said, pray without ceasing, persist. And so I said to her, I said, I really feel, I said, my third pregnancy was my firstborn. My fourth pregnancy is our secondborn. You, you've got to try again. It will be worth it. And a few months later, maybe four or five months later, she texted and she said, okay, we're pregnant. I will take your prayers. And just over a week ago, they delivered their little baby boy. Yeah. You know, and it's so cool to see how our faith can move in the life of someone who doesn't believe because um, she messaged me and she told me that they named their son after my son because we gave them the courage to believe and to try. And to my knowledge, she still doesn't believe in Jesus, but we have this relationship built up now where I'm able to send her verses that talk of God's faithfulness. And through her journey, we have been able to connect. 
Matthew 21, 22 says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then in Philippians, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So church, we desire that prayer would be a culture in this church. And we've done this a few times, but right now I'm going to open up the floor. Heather's going to have a mic and we're going to do something bold and brave. And we're going to ask you to share your prayer needs. And then we're going to ask someone else to pray for your need. And we've only got a few minutes. So what I want you to do is if you've got something that you want to share, I want you to put your hand up right now. And I want you to share with this church body so that we can join you in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you hear the cries of our hearts and that you, as we diligently pursue you and persist in our prayers, God, that you answer. Lord, I pray that you would set in the hearts and minds of every person here and listening, um, maybe over the podcast, God, that prayer is not just a team, but God, that it's a, a part of our lives. It's a culture and that there's nothing we cannot pray about. So thank you for hearing our prayers and for answering according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.